You're listening to the New Century Multiverse. Uncivil Outlaw. Chapter 14. Burning Decisions. It's not every day you find out your daughter's responsible for countless lives, and by extension, their connection to potentially trillions more. He took it pretty well. I feel like my brain has fallen and I can't get up. We'd begun things with me rushing forward to embrace him, but it felt strange. He was smaller, more slight, weaker. His hair was grey and his eyes were racing about trying to take in just the improbability of my standing in his doorway. I grabbed a broom and swept the pottery shards into a neat pile, depositing them in the trash can while I explained the decade-long stay at Weirwood, our meeting with the cartographers, and the basics of our occupation. Even that was a little too much, and he sat down to steady himself while James obligingly turned the open sign on the door around to closed. The light was growing dim out there, and the lamps of Deadwood shone bleary smudges of orange across the periphery. So are you two here to put this town in contact with Washington and the reunified states? He asked eventually. Oh, God, no. So much has happened since then. I finally explained why I was missing an eye now. Why James was, too. Our journey south was Steamheart. How we got a handle on our abilities. And how I could shut the wind doors. At this, he brightened up. I heard tell of something like that, and... Folks said the goblins were connected to them somehow. But this is wonderful. My own daughter can close these doors and set things to rights. I'm so proud of you, darling. I gazed at him, smiling at me. A look of relief on his face and a lightness to his weary shoulders. And my heart began to ache. The words of contradiction froze in my throat. I glanced at James. What is it? What's wrong? You can do that, can't you? I mean, y'all are able to fix this. Yeah, we can. I nodded firmly, pasting a smile on my face. That's the plan, anyway. So what are you doing so far west? Please tell me you didn't take time off from this kind of important task of yours to come and visit me and... and your mother... The break and pause in his voice hurt even more to hear. His lined features sank. She'd have been so happy to see you, too. If she could have just held out one more year. I sidled over to sit beside him. How did she go? Smallpox. Took her down real low. She was... He paused again, a great loss passing over his eyes. She went out peacefully in the end. Happy with her life. He was lying. I might not have been able to spot it without my training had I not met this man before. That was how accomplished this artifice was. But I knew the tightness to his face when he was trying to keep me from a painful truth. He had betrayed it when I was little and asked about what I would eventually discover to be horrors of war. I'm glad she could find peace. I soothed, holding his hand, selling my belief. For a spell there, I conjured Swearingen had hurt her. My father studied me, 
attempting to ascertain whether I might be reproachful or even furious with him for letting his wife re-enter that line of work. Swearingen never hurt your mother. Not directly. She was too valuable to him. She was his madame for several years. Truth. Seems like he's a very powerful, very dangerous man in these parts. Get quite an influential personality? Well, he's a complicated man, no doubt. Not someone you cross swords with, unless you want to find yourself skewered and disappearing. Well, why doesn't somebody do something about it? You got a sheriff? Hell, I'll be sheriff if you need it, I declared, suddenly yearning for Hector to say yes. I wanted this job at that moment more than anything else. A nice, simple, straightforward career. Just kick the shitheads out of Deadwood. The badge on my coat could be my fixed point of steady morality, and I'd raise it up to being a nice place to live. I would appreciate it if you would let me handle this. Annie flashed through my mind, and I was forced to admit she'd do the job better than me. Tiny crazy little girl, you're juggling with snakes here! It was as though we'd had a conversation over just two seconds. It made me smile. We got a sheriff. A good man by the name of Bullock. Then I'll have to go talk to him about dealing with this swear engine. The words had not left my mouth before my father had his hand on mine, holding me back. Who do you think Bullock talks to when he needs to keep this town in order? Al may be dangerous, but he's got a real sharp head on his shoulders. He gets people moving. He deals with outside threats quick and quiet. He prevents everyone getting all riled up. And he sometimes has to scare folks into behaving themselves. This is sick, Dad. The guy's a pimp and a murderer with the ethics of a ravening wolf. How can you look to him for leadership? I thought Farnham was mayor. Hector snorted. Farnham couldn't find his own ass with both hands and a map. And he lends this town a sham of propriety. But who do you think brokered deals with the local dirt worshippers to defend these territories together and fight not one, but three outbreaks of those creatures? And when the pox came, the reason more than half of us survived, including me, was the organization of Al Swearingen. Well, Mom died. You think he wanted Pearl dead? His face was fierce now. That lady grew into the best part of him. She spent years setting him right when he would have acted rashly in anger. And the day we put her in the ground, and he had to look me in the eye, I swear I saw the loss I felt mirrored. He's got evil in him, that much I cannot ignore. But that determination, his will to keep these people going, when everything is at its worst, has saved us from going out. We owe him. Your friends? Oh, we ain't friends. But I respect and value the man. That's good enough. I glanced at James, who was leaning against the wall, keeping watch. I saw sympathy in his eye. This was so much harder than I'd expected. I couldn't think of what to say, so I delved my hand into my shoulder bag and retrieved an article of clothing that Hector recognized, his Confederate army cap. You left this for me. 
back at our house in Clearwater. He regarded it for a long while, then with one single hand motion swept it off the countertop and into the trash can where it sat atop a pile of fragmented porcelain. That wasn't the hat I gave you. He growled, then pointed to the Stetson I was clutching. That was. I was quivering with uncertainty. Do you... do you want it back? No. It's yours. Hector helped us find a pair of hotel rooms somewhere other than Farnham's recommended establishment, and we agreed to meet for breakfast. It felt like my father and I already needed a break from one another, so this was a small but significant mercy. I found myself tossing and turning into the night. Part of me was worried Swearingen would send a bunch of hired thugs to end us in our sleep. Another was aghast at the options which now lay before me. I went and knocked on the adjoining door between James's bedroom and my own, and he opened up, his room dimly lit with an oil lamp. What is it? He asked, standing there in long winter underwear. I became momentarily overconscious of my clinging nightdress as I pushed through and sat on his bed. I want to kill Al Swearingen. Talk me out of it. He regarded me for a while, and then closed the door and came to perch alongside. That is shady territory, ethically speaking. You know I've taken a Hippocratic oath to do no harm, and you yourself have sworn not to kill after you realized how important Carl was in saving our lives. And that oath was, one presumes, strengthened when he gave his life to save Annie's. I nodded. So you'd be breaking your word and bond if you do this, and I'd be breaking mine by proxy if I fail to stop you. He's a bastard pimp who mistreats women. Mistreated my mother, and I don't know if I can live with that. Yes, he probably does deserve to die. And killing him would most likely prevent others being hurt as a result of his continued existence. The vulnerable. If I do nothing, it's like I'm letting that happen. You're doing a terrible job here, by the way. But in the words of your father, this man is a necessary evil. His harsh leadership, ruthless tactics, and surgically applied charisma have kept many people alive when they would otherwise have been wiped off the map. James fixed me with a penetrating look. You're asking me for permission to kill when you've sworn not to. So is this just about Swearingen? Who else would I kill? I didn't say you'd kill anyone else. But it was implied. You're suggesting he would be the first in a line. At this, James flexed his hand. Perhaps someone in a similar position, on a grander scale. A potential saviour of the many, but undeniably dangerous to the few. Okay, yes. Mr. White has been on my mind, that I will admit. But that word you used there is pretty key. He's only a potential saviour. Millions could die who might have survived if things go his way. I set my expression firmly and studied James. Had he worked out who White was? If I revealed the truth, James would potentially be in the same precariously lethal position I was. Only he had no protection. He wasn't a fighter. It would be a death sentence. James caught me looking at my hands and generating the subtle beginnings of a shining blue armoured field around them. You're in possession of great power, Abigail. We both are. But while we share this tether to the doorways, 
You have the shield ability. Krieger and Greta sent you. Sent us. Us. Why do you suppose they did that? I don't know, to keep us safe. Really? He stirred at me, stroked his moustache. Back at Green Hollow, when you stepped out in between Harry and Butler and Pines and Raven, and that whole town of... Of slavers, of rapists, and brutalizers of women, of abusers of children! I snapped, clutching my fists. In an eruption I later told myself was beyond my capacity to prevent, a burst of energy rippled forth from my chest, and James was thrown back against the brass bedstead. I pitched forward and gently pulled him upright, caressing the back of his head as he composed himself. I'm sorry. I'm so sorry. I found I was now a lot closer to him, my hands still in his hair. I'll control that better. What did you do when White threatened both your friends? And those whom you fundamentally opposed. I stood in between. You protect by your nature, Abigail. You may be fantastically good at punching, but I still think this new power suits you even better. His hands were respectfully by his side. I let mine gently drop. If I kill, I become a weapon. A sword. Even if it's just me, pointing myself at what I hope is the right target. Even if it's entirely motivated by my need to defend people long term. You asked me to convince you not to kill a pimp. An evil man who has every reason to be taken out. But you don't want rationalization. You want to know in your heart that it's okay to let him live. But it's not. There are too many bad people out there that I want gone. It's not okay to leave them walking the earth. Then choose. You know you can use this to inflict harm. You know you're capable of killing. Maybe if you can be a fair enough judge, jury, and executioner, you can see your way clear to taking the bad people out and making the world better that way. I can't be sure. My anger rockets up from deep inside like a geyser. And I just want to smite these fuckers where they stand. But it's not something I know deep down in my heart that I can do. And I won't ever know that I've done the right thing each time. Or else you wouldn't have asked me. Yeah. But what does feel natural and right? Protecting those that really need it. So, in your own conclusion... I'm not the sword. I'm the shield. Well then. And with these last two words of his, I had what I needed. I knew who I was. I love you, James. The words hung there, as true as the revelation I had just experienced. But I understand. If you... Love Rebecca and not me. I just want you to find happiness. Those are the same words that Rebecca expressed when we last spoke. She wanted me to be able to extract some happiness from life. I comprehend why she'd say that. You're so sad all the time. I'm sad? Oh, are you kidding me? And at this he thought deeply. Okay, James, 
I want you to be entirely honest, both with me and with yourself, especially as this concerns what Rebecca wants for you. All right. James, do you love me? There was a long pause. The question presented a simple yes or no answer, but we both realized neither word would suffice. I've loved you since the moment you shook my hand, he said finally. His body gave visibly as he let this out. On the front lawn at Weirwood, with Lucy standing to one side. He bit back those memories and I tried my best to do the same. I saw that fire in your eyes, and then you immediately became shy of me. All I wanted was to see that fire back, because that's when you're the most alive. He took my hands and held them tight. I respect and adore you, Abigail Gray, and the love I have been carrying all these years has not dulled or faltered. My heart was pounding in my chest. I leaned in close as he said these words, my eye locked on his. Then he glanced away and let go of my hands. But in entirety of truth what I have feared the most, and in witnessing our growth, apart and together, I have seen plenty of evidence that corroborates this is... His voice was soft, somber, clear, utterly serious. I am very aware of how I cause you to act, how we clash, and I complicate your focus. Abigail, my f- Abigail, my fear is that for you to retain that fire requires my absence. I am genuinely afraid that I am no good for you, and that you may be a better person without me. But for all that, I dearly do not want for us to be apart. The words of response stuck in my throat as I wrestled them out. So what do you dearly want? His eye finally met mine again as I leaned in and our lips hovered close. Put simply, I want you. I want your fire. I grabbed the back of his head. Take it. I breathed, and our mouths met. Take it. I felt a surge of fierce joy rocket through me as I pulled him close at last. He was mine. We clutched at one another as underclothes were ripped away. I pulled our eye patches off, and his cyan glow enveloped me. I swam inside him. You have been listening to episode 14 of Uncivil Outlaw, Burning Decisions. Written, edited, and directed by Alexander Shaw. Captain Abigail Gray, performed by Sharon Shaw. Dr. James Penrose and Hector Gray, performed by Alex Shaw. Smoking Gun, composed and performed by Kevin McLeod of Incompetech.com. 
Many soundscapes, including A Solemn Vow and Salt Marsh by Tabletop Audio. Make Your Decision by Dan Philipson of Shockwave Sound. Uncivil Outlaw Theme, True Greatness, performed by Bjorn Lin of Shockwave Sound. The New Century Multiverse is funded by Patreon. Our top-tier $15 sponsors get a shout-out every episode, so many thanks to Joel Robinson, Finbar Nicole, Abel Savard, Michael Hasco, Trey Contreras, Matthew Webb, Angus Lee, Kevin Bay, Daniel Salguero, Connor Kennedy, Johan Clayson, Joe Gesiga, Tim Rosensky, Christopher Wolfe, Matthew A. Siebert, Kat Esman, Evan Jankowski, Sarah Montgomery, Toby Jungius, Dave Hickman, Tom Painter, Dan Hepner, Marty Huey, Mark Luksh, Brian Novak, Frankie Punzi, Aaron Lecluse, Lorraine Chisholm, Timothy Green, Cassandra Newman, Duran Barnett, Benjamin, Joseph Gluck, Greg Downing, Kieran Dashler, Dan Mayer, Jameis Enright, Nick Ord, David Sheely, Chris Finnick, and Joe Crow. Mm-hmm.